Welcome to the All Girls Considered Podcast. A podcast where we share the stories of strong, influential women. I'm Bren. And I'm Madalena. And joining us today is Miss Tara Chapman, who owns and runs Two Hives Honey, an Austin-based beekeeping business that supports other local businesses. First of all, can you tell us about your story? Yeah, sure. So uh, I am from Texas originally. Um, I grew up here, uh, went, uh, went away to college. So I went to Duke, which is in North Carolina. Um, I was a first generation college graduate. So I've actually been out of Texas very few times at that point in my life. Um, I think I'd been to Oklahoma and then I'd been to Florida once and that was about it. So experienced a fair bit of culture shock for the next four years. Um, and then was recruited to work for the federal government, um, in intelligence. So, uh, after college, I moved to DC and then spent the next 10 years, um, working for the federal government in various capacities. I spent a fair bit of that time working on matters in Pakistan in Afghanistan and spent a fair bit of time in both of those countries. Um, and then the, the latter part of that decade, um, the last few years, I convinced my agency to let me work part-time from Texas. I'd wanted to come back to Texas for a while and sort of found an opportunity to do that. And that's when, when I was back in Texas, I took a beekeeping class, which sort of launched me into this new career. Wow. Okay. So when you were like in Pakistan and Afghanistan, like, what was that like? Did you like meet any people there who were like, wow, that's really interesting? Yeah. So it was, it was very different. So in Pakistan, um, I, so this would have been back in, I guess 2004, maybe 2005 was when I was spending my time in Pakistan. And that was very different from Afghanistan because in Pakistan, I lived what was called on the economy. So that means I lived in the city. I lived in Islamabad. I had a little guest house, which think of a guest house as like a Airbnb that someone that does your laundry and cooks all of your meals. And so I had a car and I got to drove around and I had a fair bit of mobility. Um, we were still very limited in terms of where we could go. So um, Islamabad is actually the city um, is built on a grid. And so there were certain grids of the city that we weren't allowed to go for our safety, of course. But I still got to get out and about and eat at restaurants and do a lot out in the city. Now, in Afghanistan, it was very, very different, and it was, I spent part of my time there under the eyes of the Department of Defense, and then I spent the rest of my time there um, under um, some civilian agencies. And so those two different agencies handled things a little bit differently, but in general, my mobility was pretty limited. So I lived either on a base or at the embassy, and we couldn't move around the country unless we had security and armored vehicles and whatnot. And so our mobility was pretty limited. And so it's kind of a bummer because the only like locals that I got to meet were those that I would meet either in professional meetings or the locals that worked at the embassy or at the bases. And there were lots of them and I would take the opportunity to get to meet them, but I didn't get to see as much as I did in Pakistan just because of the circumstances of, you know, there was a war going on. It could be really unsafe. Yeah. Uh, so what inspired you to choose your job as a beekeeper? Yeah, so the last, as I mentioned, those last couple of years um, working with the government, I was back here in Austin. And so I was spending 
um, I would spend three weeks here in Austin and then I would spend a week in DC. And then every couple of months I was going overseas to Afghanistan and I'd really grown kind of weary of that work. Um, my mom was, it just, she was just always really nervous when I would travel and it just felt like it was time to move on. So, um, I was looking for new work, trying to decide what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do here in Austin. And during this time, there was a beekeeping class uh, on Groupon. Do you guys know what Groupon is? I don't even know if that's still around. Do you know what Groupon is? I know, like, the name. Like, that's... Yeah. I know the name. So, it was like this deal website. I think it's had its heyday. It's not really a thing anymore. But it was this deal website. And they would post these deals on there, and you had so long to buy a deal. So, anyway, there was a deal for a beekeeping class. So, I took that with a friend who actually is now an employee of mine, which is fun. Um, took this beekeeping class together, and I just fell in love with it. And it was not my intention to set out to start a business. I had actually decided I was going to go to business school. So I was studying for the test that you have to take before you can go apply to business school. And the night before I took the test, I decided, I think I'm just going to start a honey company instead. Of course, there was a lot more thought that went into that, but I was just so enamored with the honeybees. And I had what I thought was a really unique kind of niche approach to um, bottling and jarring the honey. I wanted to put hives in all the neighborhoods around Austin and then sell neighborhood honey so that you could buy a jar of honey with the neighborhood labeled on the front that showed what bees produced that honey. And I had not seen anyone done that before. And so that was my idea. So that's where it, it kind of, this little idea grew into a much larger idea. So what was it like transitioning from working for the government to starting to run your own beekeeping business? Yeah, you know, it was, <laughs> A few things. So first of all, it was really overwhelming. Um, I had never, you know, I didn't think I was anyone that had like an entrepreneur spirit or was someone that would start a business. That wasn't me. That was other people. So once I set out to do it, I didn't really have, you know, I didn't take business classes in college. Um, I hadn't read any business books or anything. So I was pretty much totally unprepared for starting a business. Also, you have to remember, I'd only had a hive a couple of months when I quit my job and beekeeping is a super nuanced form of animal husbandry. So not only did I have to learn how to start and run and grow a business, but I had to learn how to be a good beekeeper, right? If I wanted to have any honey to sell. So it was pretty overwhelming um, and continued to be for, I mean, still plenty of days. It's super overwhelming, but it is interesting because as the business has grown, I find that I make more of an impact I think I make more of an impact with what I do today um, in our community than when I worked for the government. And at one of my jobs, I was, you know, I, I wrote reports that Congress held hearings on, like work that I worked on was on the front page of the Washington Post more than once. And so you could argue like, oh, she left this really important job to start this business. But I actually think I do a lot more today in impacting lives than I did by, back then, which is pretty cool. Wow. So you said that you like impact lives. Like how can we like have an example of like how you're like impacting all of these people? Yeah. So I, you know, I feel like we are, we're an education company that just happens to sell honey, right? Because 
if you look at any of our social media, like our Instagram, um, which is where we do a lot, or, or Facebook, um, we spend a great deal of our time just introducing people to not only the world of like bees, but like all sorts of cool things in the ecology. And I take great pride because I think that so many of our biggest fans and followers and customers are actually folks that before they came across us had no, they were like me, right? They had no interest in going outside and just looking in flowers and like checking out bugs. And I think that when we start to notice these small things, we really have a better appreciation for our environment and our ecology. And so I know that we make a huge difference in getting folks that, again, maybe before would never even stop to take notice of a flowering bush and the hundreds of bees that are on it. Um, and they now do because they follow us. And then of course we teach hundreds if not thousands of beekeepers every year. Um, we do a lot of teaching. We have free classes. Um, and we have lots of paid classes, but we do, we've really made an impact in our community to help grow um, beekeepers, um, make new beekeepers, and just introduce people to, you know, the world around us. Wow, that's really awesome. Um, so like at work, what are the duties that you perform and do? Oh my gosh, everything. So what people don't realize is that when you start a business, if you're successful, you don't actually get to do the thing that you probably set out to start with the business in the first place. So like if you want to start a pie company, right? And you want to make pies. If you're successful, pretty soon you're not going to be the one that gets to make the pies anymore. You're the person that has to do like the bookkeeping or the accounting or the marketing, the managing of the staff. Like really your role becomes a broader role of like a manager, right? So that's kind of where I am. I'm certainly out with bees, but I really get to work bees without students anymore. Um, we've got a staff of beekeepers that will do that instead. So yeah, I do, I manage all of the social media. So I've kept that under my guys um, and all the sales um, and then the managing of the staff. I don't do the bookkeeping, the accounting, those kinds of numbers things. I'm not great with numbers, but I have to manage the folks that do that, right? So, um, so a lot of like HR, you know, when someone quits, someone has to go find someone else to replace that person. So I get to do all of those non-exciting things and then I pay people to do the fun stuff. And then I also, I do a lot of teaching though. That is one area where I'm still heavily involved um, in the operational side of things is that I do all of the teaching we do hive tours, which is a great little couple of hours of experience. You get to be a beekeeper for a couple hours. And I don't do those, but I used to, but now we've got some beekeepers that take those on as well. So as we grow, I have to relinquish control of all of the fun things and just do the boring things like push papers across desks. So when you teach classes, like what are you teaching people about? Like, are you teaching them like, here's how uh, honeybees like live and what they do? like here's uh like how we manage like honeybees yeah yeah that's a great question so we do lots of different things so we certainly have like a beekeeper track right so people that beekeeping is a really popular hobby here in austin and, and in the surrounding areas and so we have classes that um people can come and take so they can learn how to be a beekeeper right so we've got a whole series of beekeeping classes um, which can be everything from like how to do a hive inspection to, you know, how to put together your equipment and how to harvest honey and how to manage pests. 
Um, but then we do other classes as well. So we like to do um, a lot of classes on native bees. So honeybees actually aren't native to North America. Um, but there's thousands of species of bees that are native to Texas. And so we like to talk about those as much as we can. And those are just free classes where we invite the community in to the classroom or, you know, in this new world onto Zoom and teach them about all those different native bees and how they can support um, those populations. And I teach a lot of these classes at like gardening stores around town and things too. So we, we have a fair bit of free classes just to help educate people. And then we also have teachers come in that teach other things. So I'm not a great gardener. I'm a really good beekeeper, but I'm not a great gardener. But there's two sides to that coin, right? You need both of those things to be successful as a beekeeper. And so we like to bring in guest teachers that will teach, you know, about gardening. We even have had um, like chocolate makers come in and teach chocolate making. We just really, we value experiences over stuff at Two Hives. That's one of our core values. So wherever we can, we like to provide an experience or an education over some, you know, cheap things that you might put on a shelf and to gather dust for later. Yeah. When you are teaching, is there like one fact that like everyone just like they didn't know, like that just really surprises everyone about bees? Yeah. Oh, there's so many. Um, I love teaching intro to beekeeping classes because most people know very little that are in that class. And it's chock full of just really interesting facts about bee biology and behavior. And basically the whole first hour of the class, everyone's jaws are just like open and everyone just wowed by all of the cool things that bees do. So I'll give you a couple. Um, I think probably uh, a favorite of many is that one honeybee will only make one twelfth a teaspoon of honey her entire life. Now, she's only going to live about six weeks, but even still, that's a tiny little bit, bit of honey. Um, and then since we're on the All Girls Considered podcast, I'll share with you that a lot of people don't realize that a honeybee hive all of the work is performed by the females in the hive. So you've got the one queen bee, and then you have thousands of her worker bees, but they're not males, they're females. Um, the males only have one function, and that's to mate, and it's only for a very small part of the year. And so they're not even in the hive for the whole year. They get kicked out as we move into winter because they eat a lot and they don't contribute to their their own hive. And so the ladies have to cut the fat, right? And really um, sh uh, hold on to resources during the winter when there's not a lot out there for them to eat. So that's always a fun one that we like to share when we do classes for girls or Girl Scouts. We always like to share that the ladies kind of rule the roost in a honeybee hive. How do you think you have grown as a person by managing your own business? I was just thinking about this this morning, you guys, because um, my boyfriend is like doing his resume and I thought, what would I put on a resume if I had to do a resume? And I was just thinking about all of the things that I've learned just in terms of skill sets, right? You know, I mean, you mean, you look at a company and you look at all the functions that's involved in making a company run from HR to marketing, to operations, to bookkeeping, like I've done them all at one point, right? And I've done some better than others. So in terms of skill sets, I mean, I really am thankful that I didn't go to business school because I feel like just getting out there and doing it, it's a harder road, I think, in a lot of ways. But I've learned so much more just in terms of skill sets than I would ever have, you know, sitting in a classroom. 
which has been pretty amazing. And then I think there's been a lot of emotional growth for sure. Um, the business has also brought about like a fair bit of anxiety that I didn't realize was just bubbling on the surface for so many years. Um, so I've had to learn to manage, you know, a high anxiety. Um, I have a very high anxiety. Um, but yeah, I think that I, so much personal growth in terms of like resiliency, you hear no a lot when you start a business, like a lot of people are going to say no to you and you just got to like brush it off and get right back out there and do it again and get prepared to be told no a lot more before you, you before you're successful. Right. Yeah. So I know that like you, obviously you weren't like first thing, like when you were like two years old, you weren't like, Oh, I want to like start a beekeeping business or like be something that we're like, oh my gosh, they're so interesting and I wanted to like know more about them or were you just like that day when you took that class, you were like, wow, this is it. Yeah, it was, it was just that day. So I grew up, um, my granddad was a cotton farmer. So I grew up in an agricultural family, but cotton out in West Texas is very different. Um, yeah, so there was no interest at all. I mean, if you told Tara even of 10 years ago, like what I'd be doing now, I would be like, what? No way. And it was purely just that I was a little bit bored in my current job. You know, I wasn't very fulfilled in my day to day. I was looking for fun things to do around Austin when I was back in Austin. This came up. I thought it was really weird to be quite frank with you. Like I thought that's so weird. Like who's a beekeeper? Like that's a thing. And so it was just this like perfect moment in my life where I was bored, unfulfilled, went to a class, super interesting, and then was looking for something new to do and kind of all the pieces fell together. So what motivates you? So um, what motivates me personally, and I will say like, you have to be a pretty driven and motivated person, a self-starter to start a business because there's no one to tell you your deadlines, right? There's no one sitting there saying like, you got to get that done by five o'clock. Like it's all on you. So you have to be a really good self-starter to start, to start a business for sure. Um, and for me, what motivates me is I'm just a helper. Like I'm a giver and I'm a helper. I love to help people and I just get really, really excited when we're able to help someone start hives in their backyard and they're successful by whatever that means to them, right? So um, whenever I get kind of lost in the business or I get down or I get sad or anxious, which happens a lot when you're an entrepreneur, it's very, very normal um, in entrepreneurship to have high anxiety. Um, and so whenever I get kind of caught in this cycle, I, I know I've got a list of things that will remind me of my purpose, right? And that's to help teach, to help in any way. So help teach, help educate. And then I get really excited when someone has never had real honey for the first time and they try our honey and they can taste that difference between our honey and that grocery store honey. And their light bulb goes off and they realize what they've been missing all that time. Like those are the things that kind of really drive me and get me excited. So whenever I get lost in the shuffle, I find ways for me to reconnect um, on those areas that really drive me as a person. Wow. So at a time machine and you could like go back to 10 years and you said that you had like no idea that you would be doing this. Would you like start earlier and what would you change? 
Yeah. So I would, if I could go back, I would think bigger, earlier, faster. So a problem that I've had at every stage, and I still do it, I still have to remind myself, and I'll give you an example in a minute. But at every stage, I think that I lack the self-confidence to know that I would succeed. And like, we've done great. We've been very successful in a very short period of time, right? And that all started, like I have a team, but that all started first with me. But I lack the self-confidence and faith in myself and what we can do. And so I continually think far too small, right? So like a few examples. When I first started um, and I chose the jars that I wanted to put my honey in, they weren't shippable for a few reasons, but I thought it doesn't matter because I'm never going to be big enough that I'm going to be shipping honey to anyone, right? So now I'm having to change all of my vessels because we do, we ship, you know, dozens of orders every month out and we're growing every day. Um, another example, and I still continue to do it today. So I've gotten better at it. I've gotten better at recognizing like you're thinking too small, Tara, think, think bigger, right? I ran the business out of my bedroom of my house for far, far too long. I mean, it's like embarrassing. Like I would have hive bodies stacked up in the corner um, and tools and smokers and stuff. And, um, but even just a few weeks ago, so with, you know, Corona, we're in the middle of the quarantine and shelter in place still. And um, we've had to completely change the way that we're doing a part of our business because we do events and classes and hive tours and those all entail us being together, right? And we can't do those right now. And it's a huge revenue loss for us. So we're having to adjust and rethink how we're going to continue to make money. And so um, we've always had, well, I've had an online shop that we launched again in January, right? So it's there, never really pushed it very hard, but it's been there. Someone wanted to buy, they could, I haven't talked about it that much. Well, since COVID-19 um, and all of our retail shops are closed, we've had to say like, this is where you find us, go online, find us online, right? And we've been doing 700 times more online orders than we were even two months ago because we've just been pushing it more right and like understanding like we just got to tell people and push them to your website to buy and so that's all fine and dandy but i'll tell you how i'm still thinking too small so because our orders went up the third party app that we use to fulfill our orders pushed me up to the next tier right because they you pay this much to ship this much every month and then if you go over that you have to pay more so my building kicked up onto the next level and I wrote an email to them and I said, you guys, this is an anomaly. We're never going to sell this much again. Put me back on the old level, right? Think bigger, Tara, right? Think like, wow, look at how many orders we've done. We should do this every month. And so I had a moment, pause and reflect and think, what are you doing? You're thinking too small. And I'm happy to report that the next month, not only did we meet that number of orders, but we exceeded it. So we're hoping to continue to do that and think bigger and stop thinking so small. Wow. So obviously flexibility, you have to be like super flexible with like COVID-19 and you can't do this and that. But before, would you say that you were like super flexible or has it just been this event that has caused you to like totally change the way that you do things? Yeah, no, I've always been super flexible. Like I think resiliency comes in there too and being able to adjust. Um, I've always been one to like throw things against the wall and then see what sticks and go after that. So this is just, I think that initially when, when the word came down, we were gonna have to cancel our entire spring schedule. 
Um, that's a huge revenue hit for us. And it was a little bit um, scary. And so I think that what this has done is it's just reinforced that resiliency, that flexibility. I had to take a minute, like a week, <laughs> take a week, be upset, be sad about it, and then say, okay, well, how are we going to pivot and make this work? And we've been making it work. So we'll be okay at the end of all of this. And I know that that's not the case for everyone. And so um, I'm thankful for that. Do you think with the COVID-19 that you've been busier or, um, you know, you have more free time now? Oh, that's such a great question. So um, we are, so springtime for us is very busy in a normal year because um, we have to be out working our bees fairly frequently. And we only get a, we get one really big harvest in June, July, and then a much smaller harvest maybe in the fall. So we don't get to harvest continually, right? So the decisions that we make now will dictate whether or not we get honey in the summer. So spring is always very, 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 very busy for us. That being said, when you take away all the classes that I normally teach, um, you know, people being in the shop and whatnot, that has freed up my time. But I'm busier now than I would be in a normal spring, purely because all of that free time is now taken up with us having to reinvent a third of our business. I was just chatting with a friend of mine that owns Fluff Meringues. Oh, she's a lady owned business that I think you guys would like. She's a fellow West Texan. Um, but I was just in her shop this morning and we were, you know, relating on how we, we run our business this way and we finally started to get comfortable with how to do it and we feel confident. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get thrown, the universe throws us this wrench in the plan and we're having to totally reinvent you know about how we service our customers and how we get our product out there she owns a tea shop right so people can't come in to have tea anymore so she's trying to figure out how can i ship you know tea sets for people to have afternoon tea and so i'm busier for sure just because we're we're totally run down with trying to figure out um how do we function and, and make it we just want to make it through you know yeah so how did you meet the people who are now on your beekeeping team? Yeah, that's a great question because most of them were students. So um, all of them, actually, I'm running through them all in my brain. Um, all of them except for one were students of mine. So they, they were either clients or they were beekeeping students, which is great because I taught them how to keep bees. So they're aligned with my philosophy and how I do things. And they became employees later. Um, and then um, and two of them are not. So one of them was that friend. I told you I took a class with that friend that one time. Uh -huh. So years after we took that beekeeping class, she became a team member, which is a really fun part of the story. And then the other one that wasn't a student, um, her name is Sarah. She's my longest serving um, team member with us. She's a beekeeper. She's a very accomplished beekeeper. And she's been with me from almost the beginning. Um, she was a stay-at-home mom before this. She homeschools her kids. And now she moonlights about 20 hours a week as a really awesome, hardworking beekeeper out in the yards getting dirty, lifting heavy stuff. And she's, she's by far the best, one of the best beekeepers I know. How would you define success? Ooh, how would I define success? Um, I think that it's something different for everyone, for sure. But for me personally, I really need to, 
I need to be needed. <laughs> what that says about me, I'm not sure, but I need to know that I'm making a difference somewhere. Um, money for me is not a huge motivating factor. Um, we all like money and we need money, of course, but uh, beyond a certain amount of just keeping me, you know, in a home and keeping my little doggy fed. Um, beyond that, it's not a super motivator for me. So I like to know that I'm making a difference um, for someone somewhere. And that for me is how I define success. If I wake up and then I go to bed at the end of the day and I know that I've made a difference somewhere, then I've, I'm successful for sure. So what, obviously through like everything, there's been some ways that you've been like, oh, I wish I could have done this different and you've made mistakes. So how did you like learn from those mistakes and what mistakes have you like made? Yeah, I think that, um, again, like I mentioned this earlier, but like just continually to think too small, I would say are my biggest mistakes, which at the end of the day, aren't that bad, right? Because you just have to kind of retool what you're doing. I do wish that um, I picked up on these kinds of things faster. I find it takes me three times before I go, oh, well, we won't do it that way again. <laughs> I get to moving so fast in my day, and I'm just trying to get through, get do the work of 10 people, right? That sometimes I have to take a pause and go, okay, this is the third time this has happened. Like, how are we going to prevent this from happening? again right yeah can you describe yourself in three words Ooh, describe myself in three words. so driven for sure um i would say giving i'm i'm i hope that other people see me as a giver i see myself as a giver um and passionate i'm super passionate about um you know who would have known, but I'm super passionate about bees. I mean, 10 years ago, if you told me that I would have laughed, but um, I'm super passionate. And if I wasn't passionate about bees, I couldn't do what I do. Like it's owning a business is just too hard of work for me. And I'm not passionate about like the process that goes in. Like I know lots of people who like, I have a mentor who owns a pool company. Pools aren't his passion. It's not what gets him excited. What gets him excited is, the mechanics of building and growing a business. That's not what excites me. So I have to be excited about whatever it is I'm working on every day. And so I'm super passionate. And thankfully I found something that I can be passionate about and make it my life's work too. So you, uh, uh, you mentioned like two other like business owners. Would you say that like these people have like, you can bond over this and you've learned a lot from like what they do and like how they do it. And you like bounce ideas off of them. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, I always tell um, folks that come to me seeking mentorship or guidance um, that you need to find a group of people. You need to find three groups of people. You need to find a group of people that are right there with you. They're at or about the same growth stage or size of your business. Um, mostly because you can just relate to one another. And, you know, I always say, I don't care if your husband or your daughter or your cousin second removed owns a business, they cannot understand what it's like until it's their money and their tail on the line. You just can't, or you just can't. I don't care if you work 
for a small business, like you can't get it unless it's you and everything that you have on the line, right? So finding a group of people that are at about the same size or growth as you. And then you want to find people that are just beyond where you are, because those are the people that are going to be able to share some real big lessons of like, I walk that path. This is what I did. Let me share with you. Because I'll tell you, I don't care if you sell meringues or you sell honey, 90 plus percent of our businesses are all the same, right? We all have marketing challenges. We all have to do social media. We all have to do like the operations and the HR. It's all the same. There's only a small bit of our businesses that are different, right? So we can all relate. And then finally, I tell people, once you, you're, you're going along well, find someone that's just behind you to help them give them a leg up because so many people, you know, have helped me along the way and will help you. And that's a way for you to pay it back to help someone else because we can all share so many lessons learned and best practices um, and save us so much time and energy from not making the same mistakes that, you know, that someone that you know in your circle has made. Earlier, you mentioned you were a first generation to, in your family to go to college. How do you feel about that? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it was really exciting. I remember the moment that, you know, not only my first generation, but I went to a very, you know, prestigious school, right? So added a little extra bit to it. But I remember the moment that we went to the post office and I'm sure they don't do it this way today. I'm sure it's electronic, but back then you actually got an envelope in the mail and it told you, if you got into college or not. And I remember going to the post office and getting the telltale, what they call the thick envelope. If you got the thick envelope, you knew you got in. If you got the thin one, you knew it wasn't, it wasn't going in your favor. And I remember my mom and I just screaming in the post office. Like people must have thought we'd lost our minds. We were so very excited um, that I got in. So it, I mean, it was just a really, you know, it was really exciting um, getting to Duke, even though, you know, like it's in North Carolina, um, which is in the South, but I experienced huge culture shock because I'd barely been out of West Texas at the time. I had a very thick accent. I had not met many different kinds of people at all. And there's lots of different kinds of people um, at Duke, but it's certainly, I wouldn't be where I am now without that particular experience, right? That set me on the path to this job where I got to travel the world and got to meet so many different kinds of people. Um, and so that's, you know, it's like nice to be able to say, you know, who doesn't love that you're the first in your family to go to college. Both of my parents were, were blue collar. Um, my stepdad was a mechanic and then my mom worked whatever job she had to, to make it work. So just out of college, you were like part of like the military and stuff. Would you, uh, say that like you were expecting that, like just out of college, you were like, yeah, I want to do the military. Yeah, no, and I wasn't actually in the military, so I oh. did, at, at different times, I came under, like, the guise of the Department of Defense, but I actually worked in intelligence, and I worked for a civilian intelligence agency, um, but no, that wasn't in the plans. Um, in fact, you know, one of the differences, and there were many between me and my classmates at Duke, but one of the differences was that I didn't have, I wasn't afforded the opportunity to have internships through college, because we didn't have much money. Um, Thankfully, I got a lot of scholarships and grants to make Duke work. It's a very expensive school. And so every summer and every college or every Christmas break, I had to work 
waiting tables or doing whatever. And so I didn't feel like I was set up as nicely as my classmates were who had all these exciting, impressive internships where they worked for free in New York and in DC and, um, you know, in other places. And so I didn't have that. And so I thought nobody's going to give me a job again, that lack of self-confidence in my ability and what I, what I could do for sure. Um, and then the way that it came about is, um, I worked for the CIA. They came to a career fair, um, when I was a senior and the line was very long, um, to visit the table and I'm very impatient as a person. And so I watched the recruiter, she was putting resumes in one of two piles and it was very easy to figure out which was the pile you wanted to be in. And I just kind of slipped behind the table and <laughs> slid my resume because an opportunistic into the pile that I knew was the good one. And they called me. And then of course, from there, like I got in on my own merit, but I was a little bit sneaky on getting the resume in the pile. I'm sure they saw me and they were like, that's the kind of person that we need. And, you know, working in intelligence and pulled me out of the pile from that. <laughs> What advice would you give to young women listening to this podcast? I would say, I think far too often, I know that I'm in this camp and a lot of my female friends are, but I think that we don't trust our instincts and our gut enough. Um, I still have to remind myself that usually my instincts are right. Um, and so for just all young women, whether you want to start a business or not, I think that we could all trust our initial gut reaction more because it's probably the right thought decision, you know, process. And so I, I would just say, trust, trust your gut feeling and your instinct more that'll help build your confidence as well. And I think that that's, I think that's a great thing for young women to do. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. This is Brennan Madalena from all girls considered. And we just wanted to tell you to keep rocking on.